everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope the content encourages you and helps you build your faith. Now enjoy the message. I love finishing bringing Mary back on the topic of hope um, and being in this place and thinking about when, when we were here months ago uh, and, and we were believing God. I think, I think this 2020 has been a year of revealing God's enduring faithfulness. And I think back on just the challenge of the year, um, the things that all of us faced and all of us walked through, be it even uncertainty or anxiety or worry or challenges in life, yet here we are finishing out the year thinking of the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God leads me to a hope. I think the result of faithfulness is hope, that we can sit around tonight and we can, we can we can champion hope. We can believe in hope. We can know that there is hope because God has been so faithful this year. So let's talk about hope. Hebrews 6, 13 through 19. For those of you that are the super Christians that brought your Bibles tonight, thank you so much for that. For you others, you can share with someone next to you, right? Hebrews 6, 13 through 19, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I think that's so powerful. When we begin to talk about hope, he's saying, my, my son's on this. I swear on my tablet. I swear on my sissy. I swear on my favorite toy, right? God's saying here, hey, he had no one greater to swear by, so he swore by himself. In other words, he swore by the highest power in the universe, the greatest in the universe he swore by for our hope. He said he had no one greater to swear by, so he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. Verse 16, it says, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Verse 17, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of his promise, that's us, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. That's a strong promise. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. There was a doctor who did a study on learned hopelessness, and he started out by taking a baby elephant, and he tied a rope around a baby elephant's leg, and then he drove a stake into the ground, and he tied the, the rope to that stake, and the baby elephant tried to walk around, and he was trying to get away, and he, he couldn't get away, and he'd get so far, and he'd pull his leg, he'd pull his leg. And he did that the baby elephant's entire life till the elephant grew up to be this big, strong, massive animal, right? And every time he would tie a rope around that elephant's leg, and he'd tie it to that stake, that elephant would go no further than the stake. And what had happened was the elephant was far powerful. He was, he was so much more powerful than the stake that was in the ground. But in his mind, he had learned hopelessness. He had learned in his mind that he didn't, he thought he didn't have the power to go beyond that stake. I wonder, as we're leaving a year of challenge, 
that how many of us have this power and we know we have this power. We just read this promise of the power that we have, but for some reason, something has happened this year or something's caught us off guard this year that has somehow in our minds told us that we're not powerful enough to overcome what we have the power to easily overcome. So he continued on in the study. And he took some mice, rats, we'll call them rats. If you're, if you're a rat lover, you just, this is not for you, right? Change, change the channel, come back in five minutes. But he took, he took these rats and he put them in water. He put them in a tank of water and after 10 minutes, the rats drowned. So then he takes another round of rats and he drops them in the water. And after nine minutes and 30 seconds, he pulls them out. And after he pulled them out, he set them on a towel. He dried them off. He fed them some food. He put them back into the water and they lasted 18 minutes. After 18 minutes, he pulled the rats out. He put them down on a towel. He dried them off. He took, he fed them and he put them back in. And he doubled the time every time. They lasted 36 minutes. Then he took them out again. He dried them off. He did this over and over and over again until they lasted 37 hours straight. Amazing, right? So the military took this study that he did. They invested $145 million into it. It's called the PERMA study. And it's a study on learning how to have hope in difficult situations. The conclusion, you want the $145 million conclusion? Was that hopelessness is learned, but hope is also learned that you can learn to have a hope that transcends your situation. You can learn to have a hope that lasts beyond difficulty. You can learn to have a hope that takes you further than when you thought you were going to give up. That's what we have here as we hear this, this chapter, Hebrews chapter 6. We'll refer to the author as the pastor who wrote it. The pastor who wrote this is saying, you have a hope that is sworn by something so much greater than anything else you can swear by. It is guaranteed by promise and oath. It is a refuge that we can live in, and it is an anchor for our souls. Let's walk through the passage together. Hebrews 6, verse 17. He starts off and he says, Because God wanted to show His unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So we have this here. We have two things at play. He's saying we've got the promise of hope, but then he's guaranteed it by an oath. Let me give you an example. Um, Mike, first of all, this, this pandemic, not pandemic, virus situation, whatever, it's like the ultimate diet breaker of 2020. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm lying, somebody tell me. My, I'm not the only one in the room. Right? I mean, it is like, I don't know what has happened, but I have probably started 10 diets this year, and I've broken 10 diets this year, and I am, I have by far in the worst shape that I've been in in a really, really long time. So I'm feeling the pressure of it, you know, I'm feeling the guilt. And my wife was pregnant, she, she was here, she was pregnant, so I was sympathy eating half of the time, right? But you, you gotta do that, right? You can't leave them on their own when they're going to Five Guys. You have to share the large fry, right? So. Anyway, it's, it's gone crazy for me, and I was talking to a friend, and I was telling him, hey, um, this has been a bad year for me from, from a diet perspective. He said, man, me too. And I said, well, well, let's make a bet. And he said, okay, you guys know Mike. You know Mike. So Mike and I are talking, and Mike and I made a bet that the first one to lose 20 pounds has to buy the other one a steak, a steak dinner from wherever they want to go. I'm, I'm going to Leona Steakhouse, and I'm getting a 100-ounce steak. 
and I'm making him pay for every dime of it. I, I cannot wait, Mike. I know you're watching for the moment. They lay a hundred ounce ribeye before me and I slide you the check after I've lost 20 pounds. Let me ask you, what did I just do? Okay, the promise between me and Mike is already there, right? But now announcing it, putting an oath on it, what did I just do? Every time you see me post a story of Oreos, you're going to be messaging me back saying, oh, you're going to lose that steak dinner. You're not going to get that steak dinner, right? Every time you see Mike, you're going to hound him about how's your diet going. Is Luke going to be buying you a steak? You're going to be dying. What I did was I put an oath on top of a promise. That's what he's saying here when he says he is guaranteed it with an oath. I have a friend who did a marathon. And I asked her, I said, how'd you do the marathon? And she said, I registered, I screenshot my registration, and I posted it on social media. And she said, then all of my friends were asking me how my marathon's going. And she said, the days I woke up and didn't want to train, they're saying, hey, you know, how's, how's your marathon? You got a marathon coming up in two months. Are you ready for your marathon? Are you prepared? And she said, posting it gave me all of this extra accountability. When we talk about God's promise, we have his promise, right? But now he's saying, I put an oath on top of it. So I'll declare on top. This is the only promise in Scripture that God says, I will not only make the promise for you, but I'll put an oath on top of it. I'll throw it out there for everybody to know. For, for you listening tonight, here's what that means. That means you have hope, and not just the promise of hope, but you have the oath guarantee of hope. God is putting it out there saying, you have hope. Hope. And not only do you have hope from a promise from me, I'll tell everybody in the world you have hope. If there is breath in your lungs, you have hope. If there is blood in your veins, you have hope. We have hope, not just from promise, but also from guarantee of oath. And so look, he, he continues on, Hebrews 6, verse 18. He says, so that through two unchangeable things in which is it impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. When I hear um, it's impossible for God to lie, I instantly think of Jim Carrey, liar, liar. Anybody? Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. Jim Carrey's the lawyer. He's a great lawyer. He's a liar. He's, he's destroyed all of his relationships from his lying, and he's, he's made a mess of his relationship with his son. His son gets one wish, and he wishes that for 24 hours, his dad could not lie. Let me show you a clip. All right, you can beat this. It's all a matter of willpower. A test. Something small. Red. Red. All right? Now focus. The color of this pen is... <laughs> the color of this pen is... <laughs> the color of the pen that I hold in my hand is... He says one lie and I couldn't do it. I think for a moment, if we just soak in what, what we've already heard 
about hope. That we have hope that has been sworn by the highest power it can be sworn by that has been promised to us, and not only has it been promised, but it's been declared by oath for everyone to be held accountable and know exactly what it is, and it's been given to us by God through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. What do you think the message is so far? That we have hope that cannot go away. That we have hope that nobody can change. That we have hope that is promised, that is declared, that is sworn by God, that is impossible for God to lie about it. So I take, it's impossible for God to lie, and we have the hope that sworn, promised, and oathed. To me, I, I should be living in a greater confidence of this hope. This hope that I have this hope that I rest in, this promise and oath of hope sworn by unchangeable things, by the God who cannot lie. And then he says, who have fled for refuge. I love this part. Who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope before us. Numbers 35 gives us the, the background of refuge, cities of refuge. It was six Levitical towns that were scattered through the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel and Judah. What they were was if you committed man manslaughter accidentally, if you killed somebody accidentally, one of your animals killed somebody, you dropped a rock from the top of your roof and it crushed somebody, it killed somebody, in any of those scenarios where you accidentally killed somebody, the law at the time was blood for blood. So their family could kill you for killing one of their relatives accidentally. Your only alternative was to flee to a city of refuge. And at a city of refuge, let me read these to you. This is highlighted in Numbers 35. Think about this for a second. We're talking about hope. We're talking about hope found in Jesus. And he compares that hope, that sealed, promised, double stamp oath hope that we have, he compares it to a city of refuge. Cities of refuge were supposed to be within easy reach of people in need. If you had to get to it, they were strategically placed throughout both Israel and Judah so that they were strategically located so people could get to them easily. Hope is something that is accessed easily. It is right there, readily available. The next thing that we see about hope is hope or cities of refuge are open to all. It was not just to Israelites. So cities of refuge were open to everybody. Anybody that needed hope, anybody that needed refuge, they were allowed to go to a city of refuge. The third thing with cities of refuge is they were a place to live. It wasn't a place you passed through. If you went to a city of refuge, you went to live there. You went to dwell there. So he's saying this hope that we have is a place you live. It's a place you dwell. It's a place you leave from here and you go to stay here. The uh, city of refuge was the only alternative for people who are in need. So if you had something happen, your only alternative, it was either your life or you go to a city of refuge. When we talk about hope, it is either my life or I find hope in Jesus. My life's a mess and there is no life for me, or I find life in hope. The other thing that we see about cities of refuge is cities of refuge provided protection only within their boundaries. The only way you could find hope or the only way you could find refuge in a city of refuge is if you were within the boundaries. We have to remain within the boundaries of our hope to keep that hope alive in our life. And then I love where we finish here. 
cities of refuge, this is so unique, they provided full freedom once the high priest died. So if you had to go to a city of refuge because you accidentally committed manslaughter and you were living there, the only way you got out of there free was when the high priest died. Think of the imagery with our hope. The only way we live in hope is because Jesus died for us. And that hope becomes our refuge. It becomes our strength. It becomes the place that we dwell. I, you know, I, I just, I am, I wasn't even planning on talking about, I, I am so caught by even, even sitting here talking with you all in, in these moments because I can remember moments of sitting here. I can remember driving to this place when it was 10 or less people. And I can remember middle of the pandemic when we moved the church into here, driving to here just desperate for hope, thinking, Lord, give us some slice of hope. Let us, let us find something. And every time I'm looking out here to people who are with us during those times, the moments that we found hope, I remember asking people who were with us here, how was your week? They'd say, terrible until I got here. Terrible until I got here was locked down all week. I was trapped in my home. I was quarantined. But then I got here and this place became a place of refuge for us. It became a place of hope for us. When I think of hope being compared to a city of refuge, I think of a place that you go to find freedom, to find hope, to find life, and you live within the boundaries of it. And because somebody died, you can live in freedom outside of it. Continuing on. Hebrews 6, 19. This is where he finishes. So we started out with the guarantee of the oath. We just wrapped up with the unchangeable things. It's impossible for God to lie. Who have fled to the city of refuge to encourage and be seized by the hope set before us. And then we just land here. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. At this time, the inner sanctuary was the place reserved for the priest. It was where you would bring your offering. The priest would take your offering. He would go to the inner sanctuary, and that was the place where God's presence dwelt. So this is telling us the hope that we have now takes us to the place of God's presence. The hope we have now takes us to a place that we couldn't go before. You may be watching at home, and you may be wondering, what, what, what can this hope do for me? This hope can take you to a place deeper and a place stronger than you've never been before. It can take you to a place greater than whatever you're going through, stronger than whatever you're experiencing now. And I love, we'll go back to the first part of the verse. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Who, who was I talking to about kayaks? You and I were talking a little bit about, about your kayak. My, my kayak does the same thing. I have a kayak that is used for fishing. Notice I didn't say I go kayak fishing right? I have one that's used for it, but, um, you know, <laughs> got to be sensitive here. <laughs> I have children, I have a wife, and I have just a wonderful family, and kayak fishing is no longer part of my agenda, right? But there are moments where I go to my garage, and my kayak talks to me, and I talk to her, right? She, she looks at me, and she says, you, you don't take me out anymore. <laughs> And I look at her and I say, baby, I don't deserve you. <laughs> and she says, I'm leaving. And I say, don't go. Don't go. She says, I've had enough. 
And then usually one of my kids comes out to the garage and he says, Dad, I spilled something and Mom's upset and you need to come help, come help right now. And my moment with my kayak is over. But when I used to kayak fish, the one thing you have to have when you go kayak fishing is an anchor. If you don't have an anchor, it is one of the most difficult things in the world to do because they're such small little vessels. You can get blown. Mike, I'm looking at you. You can get blown all over the water with these things. You can, you can have the water drift, and you can make a cast, and all of a sudden you're drifting this way, then you got to get a paddle, and you got to turn yourself this way, and you're trying to reel. It is just incredibly difficult without an anchor. But if you have an anchor, you can anchor yourself in the water. And here's the little trick with the anchor. With the anchor, if you paddle into the resistance, and then you put your anchor down, the resistance actually stabilizes you. You have your anchor in the water and it's holding you where you need to be and resistance doesn't blow you away, it doesn't mess everything up, it stabilizes you. When we talk about hope being an anchor for the soul, you don't need an anchor when things are calm, you need an anchor when things are crazy. You need an anchor when storms are sweeping in. You need an anchor when there's resistance. And when you have this anchor, you're rooted in something. You're grounded in something. When I think of celebrating Christmas and Christmas Eve and the hope of the world entering into the world through the form of God's Son, I think of a hope that is unchangeable, that's been given to us not by just promise, but also by oath. It is by a God who cannot lie, a place of refuge that we can rest in and find strength in and walk in, and a place so firm and secure it's an anchor for my soul. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope that we live in. Everybody, thanks again for joining us. We believe God has something great for your life, and we hope this message encourages you to take the next step in your faith. Have a great week.